0: Welcome to Aim Higher, a show designed to help us realize the leadership potential inside of all of us. I'm Skip Pritchard, CEO, author, blogger, student of success, and your host. How the pandemic is changing leadership is the subject of today's Aim Higher episode. And we've talked about crisis leadership before on this podcast. And we certainly can say that COVID 19 has brought and will bring its share of crisis. The coronavirus, though, is different than other crises that we have experienced. Think back to recessions, which may have been a crisis, or the horrific events for those old enough to remember 9-11. This one's different because it's so uncertain, so long-lasting, and so disruptive in our normal way of operating. It hits us at work, and it hits us at home in very different ways. And it's causing, I think, a deep rethinking for all of us about what really matters in terms of how we want to work and how we want to live our lives, what values we have and what really matters. It's also a time where you really see what a leader is made of, how a leader reacts, how a leader goes through difficult times. And this is not leadership at the top of the org chart. This is leadership. You see how everybody responds because you will see the leadership metal inside of everyone because everyone has the potential to be a leader. And so we're in a time that is very, very different. It's a time of courage, a time of resilience, a time of reinvention, and a time of experimentation. This time is unlike any other time in our lives. What and how we do with it is going to set the sail for our future and for the future of our organizations. And I believe it's important to step back and really see how you are changing personally as a leader and how you are changing your organization. So let's step back a little bit, think about the changing nature of leadership in this pandemic. And I have an expert panel to talk about leadership, talk about what's changing, talk about everything that's going on in life because we're all, and by the way, we're all under such severe stress. You never know what's gonna come out in this episode. And we have a great group of people to talk about it with. We have first Drew Bordis, who has returned for season three.
1: Against all odds. Again, how did you get here? I just found the room, really. You you just found the room. I heard you guys had lunch. Okay. (laughs) And Tammy
0: Spade is back again. You've been here just a few times. Just a few times. Every time. Yes. Welcome back. And we also have a returning guest as well, Rebecca Kilzer, who is... A customer experience expert. She's an expertise in a lot of things, but that's what we're going to label it today. So, also welcome, Rebecca. Happy to be here. Glad to have you back. So, let's just talk about pandemics and leadership and maybe stress, because stress is a big part of
1: it. What are a few
0: ways that the pandemic has added stress to leaders at all levels?
1: Well, I think you said uncertainty in the beginning, and that's really resonates with me with this because throughout the whole, I mean, since what, March, February, uh, you know, there has been a, just a low hum, constant hum of anxiety in our lives at, at a minimum that just never goes away because things aren't normal. You can try to make them a little bit more normal, but you know, you're wearing a mask, you're worried about schools, you're worried about contact. They're talking about it everywhere you turn on the news. And so it's, And it's one that's shared globally, which we rarely have something like that. And us being a global organization, whether I'm talking to colleagues in Germany or the Netherlands or Canada or Australia, it's the same topic.
2: Yeah, I think the 24-hour news cycle, social media has really um, heightened some of that. I think one of the things that I see is that we don't have the kind of data and information that we're used to. And so we're having to make decisions business decisions, personal decisions, family decisions in a place that's uncomfortable for for many of us because we don't have the kind of time and information and even vision into the future that we would normally have when we're trying to plan and make decisions. I think of it almost like when you bring a new child home from the hospital and everything is disrupted, your food, your sleep cycles, your home, the pets recognize it. It's that on a global scale, as an analogy, just all things have been disrupted. You get a few moments of normalcy, as it were, but I think we're entering the phase where we're realizing there's not going to be a return to normal as we knew
0: it. Oh, that's nice to hear. (laughs) How about you, Rebecca? What are you thinking? Well, one of the things
3: I'm thinking as we're talking is about how something that's happened for me personally throughout this is that my decision-making, the stretch of time that I need for that is way less now. I'm like, well, okay. You know, the decisions I make are often related to what additional options are available to me after I make this decision. And so it's been an interesting shift because I tend to be a planner. I want to plan things out. And and so I find that now I'm like, well, what gives me more options?
0: That's good. What about Going back, I'm going to circle back to Tammy's comment where she said those words, those either dreaded or exciting words return to normal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things I've noticed for leadership is that we're almost in, and it kind of reflects what you're talking about, Rebecca, this time suspension. Like, it just seems like we were suspended in time. And I think people at varying levels were either ready to go through some change or dealing with it aggressively or however they were dealing with it. But no matter who you are, unless you're everybody I've met, maybe there's some people who are extraordinarily good at this, but there's this weariness that has set in as month after month goes on and there's no end in sight. And I think that's one of the things that I think is so challenging is we don't know when it will end, if it will end, how it will end. And that has created this weariness, how Do you think leaders are dealing with that weariness because it's just dragging energy down?
2: Yeah, I think that for leaders who might have struggled with emotional intelligence previously, it's a time when they've had to hone that skill. I've seen a lot more empathy in leaders, a lot more understanding of the whole person and what's happening to them both in the work world and in other parts of their life a lot more appreciation for flexibility as schools closed or, you know, as people were um, working remotely. So I, I think leaders have, in most cases that I've seen, really risen to the challenge of being more empathetic leaders.
1: Yeah, I've noticed we're talking about our families more often, which is nice, not extensively, but just each one-on-one meeting or something, you know, you'll ask, hey, how are your kids um, handling school right now? How's your mom or dad? I know they were ill or in a nursing home or, you know, it's nice it's just to show you care about the full person and and that we're all going through everybody knows somebody or something that is that has just been completely disrupted and i like that we're more purposefully talking about that what i really like is drew saying that because drew's known as the bottom line operations guy get it done well i said we just talk about it briefly okay you said okay that's enough of that Do you set a little you set a little timer for like yeah. 5 seconds okay feeling time is over yeah <laughs>
3: I think one of the things about, um, you know, talking with other people during, you know, when you're interacting with the folks on your team or, you know, like you said, the emotional intelligence side of things, you do have to be really purposeful about it because especially in this situation where people are affected by the pandemic and related activity at work, it's also extremely disruptive at home, as you suggested before. And so it's one of the things that you have to be sort of purposeful about because each person may have different kinds of disruptions. And if you don't have any idea, it can affect the way that you interpret the way that they interact with you or with the team or if they're unavailable or whatever. And so it's been an interesting way to sort of pull all of that information together, too.
0: It sure has. And the way we're doing it is different as well. I think that we are talking about interacting and we're talking about empathy, and we're talking about families, but it's also different because we're interacting a lot through technology, digital technologies, FaceTime, Zoom, Microsoft Teams, on and on, pick your platform, and we're adjusting to video meetings, and that's now, really, we're not adjusting to it. We feel well-adjusted to it in most cases. It's also causing many problems, these video meetings. We won't reference Jeffrey Tubin and other issues that are (laughs) quite unfortunate, but- What are some of the ways that leaders, and and by the way, I think that's the empathy too, because you see the kids, you see the cat jump up, you see things that you wouldn't have seen or experienced before by getting a real window into the world. We always say, I want a window into your world. I mean, you really do. So how do you think leaders are using technology well or not well in this world? What are the best leaders doing that you think is working? I think touching base with people is is really important because you're
2: not having those serendipitous connections with people in the hallway, in the cafeteria, at the water cooler, so to speak. So I think being purposeful about using technology to touch base, you know, just have lunch with someone, have a cup of coffee with someone, you're drinking your tea, their coffee, whatever, and you're just connecting with them, I think is a great use of technology. Rebecca mentioned faster decision-making Sprint decision-making, maybe, if we want to call it that. I think that the quick check-in when we're in the process of making decisions, I've seen leaders use that very effectively because what happens otherwise is you might be sending a message and you don't know, did that person get the message? When am I going to get an answer back? So using technology, video technology specifically, just to check in on something so that you can continue your work is an effective thing.
1: I've also enjoyed um, kind of the level playing field between all the different offices and people who work from home and things like that, where it's no longer the 10 of us sitting in the corporate office and the one person dialing in or the three people that are from another location. Like that has made it just very subtly, but really nice where you're all part of the same team. Democratize like. that yes, very much. Very yeah, much. Quite a bit. I- I've seen that as well
0: because we've all lived in a world where somebody's probably remote mm-hmm. But when everybody is remote, it certainly changes the dynamic quite a bit, I think, as well. Rebecca, do you have a comment on how you're using or seeing the better better leaders using technology?
3: Yeah, I think to just echo Tammy's point, which is that, you know, being intentional about the check-ins. And I think that whatever happens in the future, like to the the original thing I said about having more options, (laughs) all that does is give you more options going forward, right? And so now you've got, as a leader, you have more experience and your team has more experience, you know, doing quick connections, doing quick like video check-ins or whatever. That helps, you know, because it's a continually improving process to, you know, make sure that your communication's, you know, on the level that you want it, need it to be.
1: Yeah, remember when Microsoft Teams was something optional on the side (laughs) that maybe you knew how to use and maybe you didn't. No longer.
0: Now it's central and always ringing, and some of us don't like all these video meetings. I make people call me a lot of times because I find it more stressful to be, and I turn the video off all the time, just because I find it stressful to be looking at this way when they're this way, and I don't need it. Well, in any (laughs) case, stress is skyrocketing. I read a psychological study that was put out just yesterday showing an unprecedented Increase in the rate of mental illness, so much that they could declare nations mentally ill or at least mentally under stress. It is extraordinary. And when we think about it at the individual level, how do you sense, see, feel, empathize if people are going through uh, mental stress, depression, anxiety, on and on and on? I mean, we're not psychologists. I read a lot of psychology, but how do you help them? And, and in particular, if you're a leader who's also dealing it with, you know, in your own life where you're like, you're stressed out, maybe you have kids and you're trying to learn how to be a teacher or you're juggling this, you know, there's a variety of things that stress you out. What are we seeing in terms of the changing nature of a leader dealing with stress and anxiety in the workforce that would be different now in a pandemic than it would be perhaps a few years ago? And I'll start by saying... A few years ago, if you noticed some of that, it seemed like you could say, hey, you need to go see HR. <laughs> just walk down here where you know, you're know you in a big corporate office, you have a specialist who's right on cue, but now it's not so easy to sense it. Am I seeing it? Did I imagine that? Is that real? If they're expressing it, it may seem it's off the charts way worse. You might not be able to find the HR person as quickly because you can't just bump into them or walk in, et cetera. So big companies, I think, are shifting, but what what should a leader look for and do differently uh, because of this now than they would have
1: maybe a few years ago? One that jumped out at me, and I'm no expert on, you know, depression or psychology or anything, but the people who are isolated, I think, stand out to me. It's much easier to disappear now if you want to, or if your job just makes it so that, let's say you're an individual contributor, you're not on a bunch of teams I talked to one person in our group that said, you know, I haven't actually talked to anybody, any human in four days and didn't realize it. And so I think as leaders, I mean, in a corporate office environment, it wouldn't be the case. And you probably would never know that about their home life anyway, unless you really got to know them. But now you kind of need to know that. You need to know who those people are that just, hey, I haven't heard from you. I just want to check in. I just – not not getting all in their privacy, but just making sure they have a connection into the organization. That's good.
2: You know, some of the things that leaders have contacted us about in human resources and coaching and org development are things they may be noticing, like someone who has been, you know, always reliable with deadlines and now suddenly is struggling to meet deadlines or is describing that they're struggling to focus or withdrawing. As Drew just said, you know, someone who might normally be putting themselves out there more who just isn't there. And obviously, we can deal with some of those things. But I think sometimes just that basic, how are you doing? How are you doing? Starting out the conversation with them, sending them a quick text, can open the conversation for some dialogue and, and help if we need it.
0: It's true. And it's a very interesting time for people to deal with teams and stress both personally and organizationally. I want to switch to another topic. And we've talked about this topic in a past episode, and that is the issue of trust and leadership. And we've talked about what builds trust and what destroys trust in that episode. And I'm curious how trust is impacted in COVID age. So we often trust people, leaders with seeing them you know, the experience, there's an exposure effect that has been studied that the more you're exposed to a leader, the more likely you are to feel positive toward that leader. That's not always possible. Now we can say, oh, you know, do videos and do this, that, and the other. And certainly I'm a proponent and use those tools, but even that can be overdone. How do you build trust with your team in this era where it's not as easy to interact and the interactions are, you know, they may be good and, and you may be really skilled at getting into the family for 42 seconds, but how do, you, <laughs> how do you build trust with people not in the room? What are you seeing people do to build that trust?
3: Two things that stand out to me are one is, you know, relying and consistently reinforcing that personal connection with, you know, whatever it is, if it's simply, you know, checking in on people and that sort of thing. The other one is related to being as responsive as you can and not letting things go longer than they should, right? And so I think when you're working with a team of people, you're working on projects, people want to be able to rely on you to get the work done, right? So there can't be any, there's no room for sort of laziness in that, especially now, right? And there's not really any room for it in the first place, but it's especially true now because the only thing you see is what is actually getting done, you know, in the communications, if they're, you know, by email and so forth. So those are two things that kind of stand out.
1: I'm glad that I'm not building a new team during this because I think it would be incredibly hard to just establish a rapport and a a relationship with a group of people over video. I I mean, we know it can be done, but it's so much harder. I, I find it much harder. I'm so thankful that I'm building on an already established relationship with the teams. And Maintaining trust that was already there both ways. You know, it's a tough environment, especially if you joined a new company oh, yeah. trying to establish trust, build rapport, doing that all virtual.
0: I imagine in the future, when we're all half robotic, that this will be normal, but it isn't right now. So, trust is a difficult thing to do in this era. What I was getting at in the question is I find that we're often relying on the trust bank that we built up pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, how long does that trust bank survive before the withdrawals outweigh? And all of a sudden, that trust has to be completely reestablished. And I imagine at some point, you know, whether you could kind of put an, an X and Y axis and kind of track it, at some point, given enough time, that bank has been depleted enough that some event has to be triggered in order to either make more deposits, or you'll have another shift, or employees will be less loyal, et cetera, because you just won't have it.
2: I think Rebecca's right. When you're in this environment, doing what you say you're going to do, personal accountability is vital. And it's especially vital with a new relationship, because Mm -hmm. then all you have is, did they send me what they said they were going to send me when they said they were going to do it? That's the basis of the trust. If you already have the relationship, then you you can continue to build on that for a while. But- I think you're right. It is difficult to continue a trusting relationship long, long long-term without some personal connection. Some teams I've known, you know, have just in small groups met at an outdoor coffee shop, which will become harder, of course, in cooler weather, depending on where you are in the world. But that does just reconnect people a little bit if you can see them a bit in person.
0: It really does. And I think trust is so key and that in-person touch is, is unique. And certainly some people have always worked remotely and, and they're used to it. But I do think it's, it's really important. The other thing that we think about when we think about trust in a normal year is hardcore business achievement. Now we're and talking. Now we're talking, right? But you didn't <laughs> mention it. It's interesting. Because when we think about trust in the pandemic, we think, oh, how's your dog? And how's this, that, and the other, right? But trust in a corporate setting The very basis of it is, are you going to get the job done? So your output builds trust. And so when we do see those misdates, that sloppy work, those excuses that come in, this, oh, well, I had to deal with this and that, and you don't understand, and I have this meeting and this, that, and the other. I think there's a lot of empathy, and that empathy is is much higher. But the inverse of that is also watch the trust depletion, because too many withdrawals of I'm late, I'm sloppy, I can't get it done, I have this, you don't understand. All of a sudden, you are back at uh, not a good place, either as the leader or as somebody on the team with people relying on you. I think there's empathy and understanding, but it, it only goes so far. So my advice is keep your production value high because that, I think, is extraordinarily important. Let's also move to another topic about leadership and vulnerability, How has the pandemic affected vulnerability? I have found that people are more vulnerable, and I've also found that most people are more willing to share their vulnerability than they would be in a normal year to say, let me tell you what I'm going through. Now, you don't want that to become a crutch. You don't want that to become an excuse. You don't want that to do opposite of what I just said about getting it done. But there is a sense of, you know, Brene Brown on vulnerability, and we've talked about that in many formats. But there is a sense, I think, of leaders being more vulnerable. And if they're more vulnerable, that may increase trust. But again, only if they're getting the job done, not if it's, oh, I'm a mess, I'm a mess, I'm a mess, and I'm not getting anything done. That's probably not an effective definition of leadership. But I'm curious about your thoughts on vulnerability and leadership in the age of a pandemic. I think that the
1: tricky part with this particular pandemic is the different viewpoints. There's so many. There's so many. Doing. But that there's so many different viewpoints and risk tolerances, even amongst a close team, that you do want to be vulnerable. You do want to allow vulnerability, but it can also lead to disagreements on how serious this is quickly. You don't want to step on toes or assume someone sees this the same way you do. I mean, we've got people who have not left their house since March and people going to amusement parks on the same team. It's just an interesting thing I've seen in all this. It is true. And that – Range, And yet none of them want to come in to have a meeting,
0: but I'll leave that off to the side. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to just touch on one other, well, maybe I'll sneak in one more, but I want to talk about professional development because it seems like either budgets have been cut, organizations are stressed, or people are stressed at home, or really, I think there's a lot of just depression and people are just slowed down. And so they're not thinking about professional development. So they may in a normal year think, well, what classes can I take and should I get a degree and can I get this new skill and maybe I'm going to go after this certification and I'm sensing a different shift and maybe less focus on developing self. So how do aspiring leaders not lose sense of their professional development during a pandemic and what should they be doing that they may be asleep to?
2: Well, I can say that in our organization we've actually noticed an uptick in tuition assistance applications and many of them have been master degree programs. We have a pretty highly educated workforce. So these are people who are taking the advantage of the time, not extra time necessarily, but you know, other activities in their life are not happening. And so while they're working, they're taking advantage of doing that. I think to just, you know, pausing to do the inventory of where am I as a leader? What were my professional development goals before? And how might they have changed in this environment? I think there's also an adversity muscle that we're exercising. Rebecca, you talked about the decision making. I find I'm less disappointed by disappointments than I might have been before. It's sort of like, well, that's 2020. You know, when the basement floods, well, that's 2020. I think we're a little bit more resilient than we might have been previously. And I've seen that in other leaders. So I think that's a a positive side.
0: That is good. Others thinking on professional development, have you seen more or less? Are the people on your teams wanting to do more professional development or skewing away from it?
1: I've seen less and I I just, I haven't purposefully asked the question. So all I can do is is guess, but I just wonder if people's plates, mental plates are a little full just with, with the combined anxiety work. It's exhaustion, um, just just yeah. Mental. Like, like I'm, I'm not taking on learning right now. Like, forget it. Yeah, um, I, I can. But see that's that. that's a guess.
3: I think that people who tend to strive for things like that are constantly learning. Are that sort of part of the who they are? They continue to do that. But they're what I've seen, at least on my close colleagues, is that the folks who fall into that category are need to be a little bit more creative about how they go about it. They may be, you know, instead of going for a certification that requires, you know, funding and this and that, they're like, well, I'll do maybe some of the online classes that are no cost or, you know, that sort of thing so that they can continue to build their skills. And another thing that uh, I was just thinking about is that when we have projects that we are working on that require us to, you know, learn something new now, I think because people are looking more toward what are some of the available options for, you know, like you don't have to go and get a degree in programming in order to handle this, you know, small issue related to your project. So it's more sort of like as needed. And I think it's been good in that way because people are thinking, oh, well, I could just look for an online course and take, you know, the amount of time it needs in order for me to have the information I need in order to do this
0: particular thing related to work. And I think we're going to have an explosion of more online resources we already have as educators around the world have learned to move online.
1: And I think that will, that skill will get better and better because. of Well, and as we get more comfortable using them, right. I mean, it's, it's it's both sides of it. It's the supply and the demand. I mean, as we just, you just have no other choice. It's like us learning teams. It's like, we can all do that just fine now.
0: Yeah. It's second nature. Well, I do think we come at one other word that is very important in the midst of all that. And this is resilience and we're seeing the resilience in organizations and people, but that is against weariness. So you have resilience and weariness. And I I have seen people switch in the same day from being extremely resilient to being extremely weary. And that has been an interesting dichotomy in watching people do that. And I felt it myself where I'm like, I can do anything. And then I just want to take a nap and I'm not a nap person. (laughs) So it is an interesting time that we're in. And I think there's a resilience muscle that we're developing, but I think this is a marathon and it's very, very different from a sprint. And so people who are used to leading with sprints are finding that this is one big long sprint. And so there is a variety of things. I will close with this observation The skills it takes to get promoted in this era, I think, are different than the skills that were required to get promoted when I came into the workforce, because everything's changed. That in-person ability to work a room, whether it's politically, organizationally speaking, et cetera, everything's completely different. So I do think it'll be interesting to see in 10 years what that means and how it transforms the management process in large organizations, because I certainly think that will have a big effect. So I'll leave you with that thought. And I will tell you that from a professional development perspective, those of you who are listening to Aim Higher are doing the right thing because you are helping your own personal and professional development. And that can only help you achieve more, succeed more, and help you as you aim higher. Thanks for listening.
3: Thanks for listening to Aim Higher with Skip Pritchard. Check out skippritchard.com for more episodes, interviews, book reviews, and leadership insights. And if you like what you hear, please rate us in iTunes. Until next time, remember, don't settle for the mediocre. Always aim higher.